0: Welcome to Fellowship Safaris, conversations about people of color and their journeys to subspecialist training in their countries of origin and around the world. Welcome to Fellowship Safaris. My name is Jerry Jahe. Today, I have the awesome, awesome privilege of being able to have a conversation with somebody who had started out as my colleague and has grown to be a really good friend of mine and has and was the person who was always warm and always had a hot cup of Kenyan tea far away from home. So I would like for her to introduce herself and what her professional qualifications are. Thank you,
1: Jerry. My name is Modoni Wangombe, and I am currently practicing as a pediatric hematologist in Ottawa, Canada.
0: Oh, wow. Congratulations. And today, there'll be a few pathways that we'll listen to because your medical journey has been an exciting one to have witnessed and have, you know, listened to many conversations about. But I guess I want to take a couple of steps back and just ask, why pediatrics, Mudoni? What made you think about working with children?
1: I believe children are just the most beautiful part of God's creation. And working with them is always such a joy. It puts a smile on your face. And I think one of the things that drew me away from practicing internal medicine or adult medicine, so to speak, is just the genuineness of children and There's no pretense with children. You are either hot or cold, white or black. And I just love that they wear their hats on their sleeves and I just you will get what you see.
0: Yeah, it's it's so amazing how children are either well or they're sick. Like they rarely have sort of like that in between. And I think you've you framed it so beautifully. And so from pediatrics. How did you get to the point where you're like, you know what? I want to be able to do hematooncology.
1: During my residency in pediatrics, we all do a couple of blocks, couple of rotations in the oncology ward. And so that is where my first interest uh, was established. And then, uh, even in my residency, my project for my dissertation was on kidney function in children on cancer chemotherapy and so this was an area of practice that I was drawn to from residency and I thought oh wow it would be good if we could cure cancer for children and so that was where the seeds were planted and that's where my interests sort of just started forming.
0: And how did that interest then you know translate into where you finally settled like where you went to do your fellowship? Tell us about what that process was in terms of finding a fellowship and be able to prep for that fellowship.
1: Okay. At the time, South Africa seemed to be the only place other than a few places, maybe in Europe, that people were going to specialize for their pediatric uh, subspecialties. And so I did apply and Alan Davidson got back to me and he's like, you know what? My positions are filled for the next three years. So he said, I can't actually take you now, but I will keep your name as you have already registered your interest. And so I was like, okay, well, it is what it is. And so he writes me an email one day out of the blues and he says, I have a friend who used to be in Cape Town, who is now in Nova Scotia, Canada, and she might have a position. She's looking for a, a trainee from a developing country a position in hematology oncology. And so that was where my connection into the Canadian system and fellowship actually began.
0: Oh, wow. And when it came to finally settling in on a program, did you end up in Nova Scotia or did you end up elsewhere in Canada for your fellowship? So that's an
1: interesting question. And so I never ended up in Nova Scotia, so no, which was actually very sad because she got in touch with me and she asked me to do the licensing exams, which are not cheap for Canada. I went ahead, paid for the exam, got the materials, resources to study, did the exam and finally passed. By the time I was done with that, the position was no longer available. They decided to sponsor a Canadian trainee. And so the position was gone. Obviously, I was gutted. When she told me the position is no longer there, I was just like, okay, it's fine. It is what it is. And so I let it go. And I said, it shall happen when it does. Then almost nine months later, the same lady reaches out to me and tells me there is a similar position in Alberta, And they're also looking for a trainee from our developing country, a fully sponsored uh, fellowship. You need to apply. And I put in my application and that is where I did my fellowship.
0: It's so interesting how you've had one conversation and this person remembers, you know, there was this applicant who I can recommend now for a different program. And I'm so glad that they kept you in mind and you were able to have that opportunity to be able to go to Alberta. So, In terms of going to Alberta, I know you mentioned that they had wanted someone from a developing country. What was the funding structure, you know, going into that education space? This was a fully
1: funded position. And so, which was very good as they were paying very well. And there was no bonding attached to it. I think it was just a very great opportunity.
0: And, what was the actual, you know, fellowship experience like in Alberta for hemato for you?
1: That's an interesting question. And so there are many responses that I could give to that. But I think the one thing I recognize is that I was a fish out of water, just moving from my Kenyan uh, training into North American training where everything is different, including just the names of the drugs. The EMRs, which is the electronic records that they use for everything, everything was new to me. I was just, it was just a very new experience. And so that was one thing. I think it was great for my learning because with several challenges and bumps along the road, it only made sense that I fight through it. Yes, was it hard? It was. Was it hard on me emotionally? It was. And so I just kept going and three years ended before I knew it.
0: Oh, wow. You know, I'm here snapping my fingers. If we made it through Kenyan training, we can make it through anywhere in the world. I I, I love that. And I just want to ask, Mudani, what are some of the, you know, you talked about some of the challenges. Are there any that you can, you know, talk about? I recognize that some people don't like to talk about the challenges and hurdles that they experience, but. What are some of the examples of the challenges that you faced during your fellowship?
1: I think professionally, I think just um, having a whole different setup was one thing. Noting that I had an accent that was not very clear to those that I was treating the patients. But then also just colleagues who view you differently. And so it was just I was of a different race. It was obvious nothing to hide. So just experiencing some of those things, some of it may not be said out loud, but just how you get treated by your fellow colleagues, by nurses, sometimes even by your patients was something that you had to constantly tell yourself, I will overcome this. And then for me, the other thing that was big being out there was just the loneliness. It was very lonely and I did not have friends, family, out there in Calgary, most people had never heard of Calgary. Even I had never heard of Calgary before I came to Calgary. And so it was a lonely place. So even over the weekends, I would just be all by myself. And so it's just some of those things. Those are some of the challenges of being out there by yourself without your family. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh, Mugandi. That sounds awful in the sense that you've gone to pursue this dream that you have. And these are some of the experiences that you faced. What helped you, you know, keep going? Just knowing that you you have to be a finisher
1: and whatever you start, you want to see it through. So apply that determination, the grit and see yourself through this. But then most of all is just relying on God and praying, reading my Bible, but just knowing that, you know what, I can do this. I can do this. And just keep going. I did have a good church family out there. And so I met some friends from church there and we would get together sometimes. And so their company and their friendship also kept me going.
0: Shout out to your church community and just how much support they were able to give you. I think it can't be understated for fellows who are going especially to a new space, they may be a religious, you know, organization that you're affiliated with or like a club that has, you know, like global reach. I think those would be really, really key places to be able to plug into because like you said, it does get very lonely. How did you transition into the other fellowship that you got to do um, while still in Canada?
1: So, this was brought up by one of my mentors, one of my friends who was a fellow as I was, but now was practicing as a staff physician. And he asked me, he's like, he approached me, he's like, what's your plan? And I told him, oh, now I'll go back home and hopefully I'll start treating patients with hematology and oncologic diseases. So he just prodded me further. And during my fellowship, I went into hematology oncology for the oncology part. I was like, oh, I want to cure childhood cancer. But after being there shortly, I quickly moved from oncology into hematology, just realizing that oncology needed something more from me, which I, I felt that was a bit more challenging for me to give. And so when I moved and focused on hematology, I really enjoyed just practicing hematology, treating patients with sickle cell disease. So when I'm speaking with my senior colleague, I think, like, you're really good at this. Why don't you pursue another fellowship? I was like, really? What does that mean? No, just apply. They do have a fellowship in hemoglobinopathies, which is something you're interested in pursuing. And see what they say. And so I applied. And interestingly enough, I was having this conversation with him like one month to the deadline of this application process. And so I went home and I looked it up and I was like, you know what, I'm going for it. And so I put in my application and then I was called for an interview and then I got the place. And so my husband and I now moved from Calgary to Toronto for me to pursue my second fellowship.
0: I think it does take a lot of grit to still finish one fellowship, see an opportunity for another, jump on that, you know, next fellowship to be able to improve how you provide care. I'm also realizing is that you got quite finessed in terms of transitions. And I know we're talking about like the academic transition from one fellowship to the other, but then coming into fellowship, you are single and now transitioning to the other fellowship, you had a husband. So what happened in between there?
1: That's an interesting question. When I was leaving Kenya, we had just started dating. And so I moved and he had just actually come back from the States from doing his master's in law. And so he was not actually looking to move again. So we left and we were having this long distance relationship, but he came to visit me twice. And in those visits he engaged me and we went back to Kenya got married and then now moved to Calgary together this was in end of 2016 and so 2017 and 2018 I had company so I was from single like you're saying to married and so that's how that transition happened.
0: That's so amazing and shout out to your husband for being able to one long distance relationship with a fellow who's super busy in their fellowship. And not only that, but then being able to get married and be able to support you in terms of your academic pursuits. And so going a couple of steps ahead, how was you know the transition now into this new fellowship experience for you in a different town, in a different province? What was that like moving into this new space?
1: So moving from Calgary to Toronto was sort of came with its own new bag of challenges. And so my husband left Kenya and he came to be with me. And so he was still trying to also just figure out terms of next steps in his practice. He's a lawyer. He's done Commonwealth law, which is sort of different from what they do here in Canada. And so he was just still trying to figure out what to do with his career and what are the next steps in terms of how does he get licensed as a lawyer and how does he start his practice? And so we were on a one fellow salary, which was more than adequate in Calgary as Calgary is way cheaper than Toronto. And so, but we moved to Toronto still with the one fellow salary, but now Toronto was like double the cost of living That we were experiencing in Calgary and so that was a bit challenging economically but then I think just being together and walking this journey together I think was the best part
0: it's so exciting to just hear that you are also not alone in terms of the studying piece because it sounds like now both of you are sort of like studying in the house and venturing into this new space together that takes a lot of courage Not everyone does that.
1: No, it was challenging. And I think it's been one of the harder parts of our lives together. But Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we got to experience it together just
0: makes us stronger. I believe so. You like reading. What was the experience now in this new fellowship?
1: Every other person looked like me, literally. In fact, all the attendants in my department at the time actually of my race and I came into this space and I just felt so supported and like part of the team and so it was just such a wonderful experience I think my family and I we still miss being in Toronto so much because the diversity and just the different things that Toronto had to offer it was beautiful
0: and in terms of you know sort of seeing more people looking like you that's that learning environment, did that help you in terms of, you know, having those safe learning spaces? Did that promote that a bit more?
1: I think it did because you are respected for what you're saying and people actually value your opinion and they don't second-guess it, are not looking to judge you or correct you on things that you do. And so it just makes for a for better growth as an individual, when you're of a different race.
0: And were there any challenges that you experienced during this second fellowship?
1: Um, Not really, but I think it was just personal and family challenges. It was a two-year fellowship, but it became a four-year fellowship as I did get my two boys during this two-year fellowship. And as you know, maternity leave is one year, so i got my first son a year again and then i was out with my second son so i would say the challenges especially with my second pregnancy it was a bit tougher than the first but i think professionally no i think it was just terms of health.
0: how wait now you know in terms of fellowship how did you manage fellowship and pregnancy Because as it is, like when you talk to the different fellows in their different programs, it's very rigorous. There's a lot of work to do. How is that for you as a woman and, number two, as a pregnant woman trying to make sense of this fellowship experience?
1: Oh, it's actually very accommodating. And I think being my second fellowship and not my primary fellowship, so you sort of become like a senior fellow. So that means there's all the other fellows who are doing their training in hematology, oncology, who you sort of oversee because you're in a sub sub subspecialty. And so you don't take as much call. You're not clinically as involved as the others. And then there is a body that oversees trainees and residents. So once you get to 28 weeks, you can't take any more night call and, so there, there are some structures in place that sort of protect a pregnant woman, so to speak. That's
0: amazing to hear that there are structures in place to protect and shield you from sort of like a bit of the workload that, that tends to accumulate with fellowship. And while you were home, did you do anything else? It was mainly just bringing up the boys because one year is quite a long time. Was there anything else that you were doing during that time?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I had signed up for a master's in public health online. And I think being a an online program, you sort of get to choose and pick when you can do your modules. And so because you get a one year maternity leave, I some of my modules, I did them during that time when I was at home with my boys. And so when the baby goes to bed, then I'm sitting on my laptop trying to complete assignments and do my dissertation or my data collection. And so I did that during my mat leave. In hindsight, would I recommend that someone does that? I don't think so. I think it was very hard on me. And so I took myself up for the challenge, but I realized maybe I beat more than I could chew. As it was, I found myself expressing and then still working on my laptop. So it was like trying to juggle too much. But at the same time, the baby was not sleeping at night, and I'm not sleeping. So I was sleep-deprived, exhausted, trying to complete a master's and bring up a new
0: book. Oh, my goodness, Mudoni. Yanni, on top of the two fellowships that you had done, there was still the master's in public health. How did you settle on a master's in public health and how did it tie in with your hematology oncology dream
1: so as part of my fellowship you get one year to do something different you can do something in education you can do something in public health you can do something in an area or focus that you're interested in and so i had colleagues go into neuro-oncology or bone marrow transplant for an extra year And for me, I decided to do public health. At the time, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a two-year program and it should end pretty easy. But from 2017, I only just completed it with the completion of my second maternity leave. So it took me five years. But yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Your experience never ceases to blow my mind. Literally, quite literally, Mudadi. How did you manage and what strategies helped you maintain some? Balance in your life because you know you've described this a fellowship going on and yes you're on maternity leave but you have these one then now two kids and then you have a partner with you and you know just also just being a human being how did you balance all of these things and what are some of the strategies that helped you make it through?
1: So I have to give a shout out to my husband. He was just a great spouse and a great parent to the kids because a lot of these times I found myself absent. Yes, I'm supposed to be on mat leave. And so I'm on mat leave, but partly the baby is asleep or I'm nursing the baby. I'm still trying to read a document to complete an assignment. But I think having a supportive spouse was one of the things that I am really thankful to God for. The other thing is I did have my mom be with us almost a total of about six months during this whole journey. Uh, She came from Kenya to just be with me when I'd just given birth. And so I took advantage of that. And so she would be with the baby and I'm trying to complete assignments and do other things. Uh, So that is secondly, but then also a group of Kenyan friends yourself and other people that lived nearby that was, just great to take a break from everything and enjoy some company, some good food. I think those are some of the things that really helped me. But I think ultimately I have to give thanks to God for giving me the ability to be a wife, a mom, a fellow, and then a master student, like all these things, just trying to do all of them. It can only come from a very loving father that we have in God, just enabling me to wear all these hats at this time of my
0: life. It was such a pleasure and privilege being able to be part of that aspect of your journey. And I do have to mention, given that we had come in the heart of COVID, yourself, your husband, when we were in isolation, you guys are the ones who used to do, you know, grocery shopping runs food runs for us guys and leaving them at the door so a big shout out to you guys because I don't know what we would have done if it was just us and we didn't know anybody when we were starting out so a big shout out to you and your husband for having supported us in those you know initial weeks and even just being family away from home those meals those hot cups of Kenyan tea oh my gosh they were such a balm to the soul in such a you know at a very stressful academic time. So I just want to give a shout out to you for that.
1: It was our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, Um.
0: and there's something you touched on. And like, what was childcare like? Because I think for some of the fellows who are thinking about coming to do a fellowship and um coming with their families, what's that childcare structure? What does it look like? Because it's very different from our context in the Kenyan context where you have more people, you know, sort of on board, being close by. What did that structure look like for you?
1: So I think childcare can be mentioned as one of the largest nightmares of parents in North America. Getting a spot into a daycare is like pulling teeth. And so if you're coming in as a foreigner, so you're putting your name on a wait list and you don't know when you're going to be able to get a spot. So that is the one thing that can be really just challenging for individuals. And that is trying to get into um, a provincial or a funded daycare. There is daycares that are not funded and these are pretty expensive, especially for the age of infants, toddlers, the costs are very high and more often than not, the costs are competing with your rental. They are often more than what you can pay for rent, and so you find that many families will choose that one spouse stays at home and watches the kids because then you might be going to work to earn all that money just to pay it for daycare. And so that is the one thing that an individual needs to think through, especially if they have children that will need daycare. The schools are pretty from the age of 4 the kids then can go to school and schools are free but then it's that in between age from 0 to the age of 4 that you need to figure out what your childcare options are going to
0: be i think i think it's really really important that you've mentioned that because it gets really really expensive And you have to factor that in because sometimes one salary, like you were mentioning earlier, a lot of fellows come in and they're just on one salary. So I think it's really helpful to have that insight coming in. Did your fellowship program help connect you with any childcare options?
1: No, I did not get any connections from the fellowship, but I had friends uh, who had put their children into childcare. And so... Often the thing is when you're pregnant, they say you need to put your name down for a daycare at that time when you're pregnant. So you haven't even given birth. When you conceive, put your name down because it takes about 18, 12 to 18 months. And so that will be your mat leave. And then you can get a spot for daycare. But I had friends who had put their kids into some private facilities. And that is what I went for because I never put my son's name down for a daycare when i was pregnant and so i was sort of just paying for not heeding the advice that had been given to me i came to find out about it from friends and just looking around you go online and see what are the options near me because at the time we were living downtown toronto we are not driving so you're looking for something that you can get to easily
0: In terms of your fellowship experience, do you have any things that were huddled for you now in this second fellowship for you as a family or for you as an individual?
1: Yeah, I could mention a few. I think Mm -hmm. for me, just like you're saying, I've been a professional student. So the one challenge I needed to get through was, okay, I'm done with school. I need to find myself a job. And so I think for me, that was one thing that really aided me just knowing that, no, I'm not picking any more fellowships. I'm not doing any more training. I just now want to work as a physician. And so that was one thing, just trying to put in all these applications, because as you know, now we were a family of four and costs of living were coming up and the kids need all sorts of things. We needed to move to a bigger space. Those were the hurdles just in my mind. Even as I was completing my second fellowship, I'm like, okay, now I would like to get a position as a staff physician and start working. No more
0: training. That's usually a tough one. And I'm so glad that you've brought that up, especially as an international medical graduate. How difficult or how easy was it in terms of like a job search? If you're able to talk about that a bit.
1: So I would say that this is the hardest part, transitioning as a physician from another country into a different country. Just trying to get licensed and get a position to work as a physician and not as a trainee. That is among the most challenging and amongst, I think, the toughest barrier to overcome as a physician going to a new country. For me, it was hard because now I had a... Two kids and I also had a husband now who was, he had been called to the bar. He's been called to the bar in Ontario. So you get called to the bar according to the province. So I was thinking, okay, now I need to look for a job that is within the confines of his licensing, which is the Ontario province. But then also trying to think, what if I don't get a job within the province? What are our options? Are we going to move to a different province? Are we going to move back to Alberta? Will we go to Saskatchewan? Will we move to any other province? So I think uh, that was hard, but yeah, eventually something did come up. And so we're still in Ontario, which is a good thing.
0: (laughs) Congratulations again for, you know, being able to get a job and being able to settle still within the province. And I think it's really important that you've mentioned that, especially for people who are thinking about continuing with work in a particular place, it's really important, like in the Canadian context, that you know the licensing varies from province to province and that you'd need to factor that in as you're thinking about work and what your next steps are. The other thing that I think We would need to mention is how long the licensing takes because it's one thing to get the job and then it's another to actually start the work. Are you able to talk about what that bridging timeline was like for you?
1: Yeah, so I got this position July Mm -hmm. of 2022 and I was starting work in September of 2022. And so the process began then of licensing with the CPSO certified physicians and surgeons of Ontario. Mm -hmm. But my license only came through in March of 2023. So I want to say a duration of about six months. And so at the time, yes, I, I was still practicing as a physician, but then I couldn't actually practice as a staff physician. So it's so interesting that I had to continue practicing as a fellow until my licensing came through. That did not diminish my patient load or any calls that I had to take. They just knew, okay, this is just the title that you're going to get until we can complete the licensing process. And so yes, was that long and painful? It was, but it is what it is. And so it is sort of out of your control and so you would just go with the flow.
0: I really love you saying going with the flow and just, you know, being mindful that this is what you can be able to anticipate. And what's hope, what, what encourages me is that go with the flow, yes, and things do pan out. It's just that it has a different timeline from what you would have anticipated. I wanted to find out like during your, you know, professional studentship, as we'll call it, or your professional fellowships and learning, are there books or movies that greatly influenced you during that time?
1: Yes, so there's one. The major one is the Bible. I stay close to my Bible, read it every day. Sometimes I forget. But then just trying to stay connected to God and just allowing him to strengthen me and just get encouragement from his word. So the Bible is always so close to me. But then the one book that I read was by Ryan Holiday. And it says that I think the obstacle is the way. I read that book when I was in my second fellowship and I realized there's actually nothing that we cannot be able to accomplish. Everything is within our confines. We are able to do whatever we want to be. We can actually be. And so That is one book that I read. It's actually a small book and you can read it cover to cover within a day. And I've read it a couple of times and that is one book I can say, The Obstacle is the Way. Wherever your challenge is, that is where you're actually going to get your answers from. I'm not a movie person and so... I even forget what movie did we watch last night <laughs> so no I will not comment on any movies
0: <laughs> that's okay and I think that's really great that you've mentioned these two very profound books and hopefully we'll we'll put the link in for the Ryan Holiday book and when you think back on your learning career is there a particular habit or a particular you know practice that you picked up in fellowship And that has helped you be a better person, be a better clinician?
1: Yes. What I can say is from the Bible, actually, work as unto God and not as unto man. God is your boss, period. And so if I'm looking at it that way, then I'm not looking at this person is being rude to me. This person is doing this to me or, but if. God is my boss and whoever is in front of me is my sister, my mother, my brother. I need to do right by them. So I need to do right by God and I need to do right by the patient that's in front of me. And
0: that's so beautifully said, Mudoni. I really appreciate you sharing that. So what would be your your piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about a fellowship? It may not necessarily be strictly in Canada, but they're just thinking about a fellowship and trying to consider their options. What would be your piece of advice to this person?
1: I would say choose your heart. Whatever you choose to do in life, there'll be an easy way and a hard way. Select what you want it to be. I don't think there's any easier paths in life. Don't settle for the path of least resistance. That's what I would say.
0: Don't settle for the path of least resistance. That's great. And in terms of, you know, just advising somebody who's about to finish their fellowship, they're listening into the podcast and they're like, I need a nugget. Do you have a nugget or nuggets for somebody who's about to graduate or finish their fellowship and they just, they need some advice? What would be your advice to them? Do the best with what you have. I know the challenge
1: is we are in different places. Wherever you choose to practice, do the best with what you have.
0: Wherever you choose to practice, do the best with what you have. I absolutely love that. And I also know that it's also one of the things that you have put into practice in your life. And I just want to say a very big thank you, Mudani, because you've shared a very interesting perspective in terms of further education and I think the things that I've sort of like picked up as we've talked is that literally like you don't have to necessarily just go and do one fellowship and just keeping your ear on the ground for different opportunities that come up even as you're doing your current fellowship that guides you to what your next step may be and it's possible to do that while you continue to build relationships and have a family because in this whole process of the two fellowships at the masters, you got married, you had not one, but two children. So this has been so amazing for you to be able to share, you know, your experience with us. And I'm really, really grateful.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jerry, for this opportunity. Let me know if you want to do this again, but no, this was absolutely fun and just sharing my journey with you. Thank you so much.
0: I'm so glad you stayed tuned. Please get the word out and share it with at least three people. Make this episode like a chain letter. Share it, share it, share it. Come back for the next leg of our safari where we'll be talking about This transition from a consultant to a learner, it can be hard at times, but again, like I was open and I kept reminding myself that you're here to learn. It's fine. All you need is time. You are able to do that. Just give yourself time and then you will feel more confident and be
1: more skilled in doing LS medicine or like, you know, the different practice.
0: Listeners are advised to use their own judgment and discretion when applying any information discussed in this and all podcast episodes to their specific situation. Always seek the advice of a qualified professional if you have any concerns or questions regarding a particular subject matter. You can find this and other episodes of this podcast on our website at www.fellowshipsafaris.org. You can also find all our episodes on all podcast platforms. Reach out to us on social media as Fellowship Safaris on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And our Twitter handle is at Afar. You could also send us an email on fellowshipsafaris at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and interacting with what you have to say about the Fellowship Safaris podcast. It takes a village to make this podcast. The executive producer and original music is done by Mokavi Mawewu. The sound engineer is Tevin Sudi with thanks to AQ Studios graphic design was done by benjamin mboya we would like to give a special shout out to josephine Karyanjahe and melissa Bogwa of africa podfest all rights reserved by dr jerry kareanjahe and the fellowship safaris podcast